Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the New Culture Podcast. My name is David and we are the NCP crew. Richo. Hey, hey. Luke. Hula. And Crystal. What's Hula? Hula. It fits in our uh, War of the Worlds theme. It does. Uh, so normally this episode will be recorded the day of release, uh, as we always do with our uh, podcast, but... Uh, Unfortunately, uh, due to unavoidable circumstances, we have had to record it early. So it's a couple of days early and then we would normally record it. And as you can tell, I am still I'm recovering uh, from my uh, influenza. Damn bird flu. <laughs> uh, but, he is still, but he is still unclean. That's right. So because of that, uh, I'm going to give young Richo the reins yet again he did uh, a quite a good job in the last episode i thought quite good it was the single greatest episode of nerd culture podcast ever i'd just like to ask a question does anyone else feel that there's any space left in the room after that comment <laughs> <laughs> it's just like him to stop feeding david germs and keeping him sick <laughs> He's been that's justice. right it's my fiendish plot to seize control forever of nerd culture podcast <laughs> Well, with that being said, uh, you have uh, taken control. <laughs> so, welcome Culturalites. For those of you new to the show, Nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture-related film, book, and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Not only do we have the podcast, but we also have a fantastic website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com, which features additional content that's not found on the podcast itself. And speaking of our fantastic website, there's a fantastic column on our website now that you may or may not have seen if you've been to the site recently, but it's called The Who Review, where I have undertaken to watch and review every single available episode of Doctor Who in its original 26-year run, plus the new stuff, and I'm doing it in chronological order, starting with William Hartnell. And it's awesome. So if you ever ever wanted to catch up on Doctor Who but haven't had the time to sit down and watch it all, this is a good way to do it. That's right. If you're not a crazy person like me who has recently gone out and gotten so many episodes of Doctor Who on DVD that basically I need an entire new bookcase for it, then check it out. Uh, I've done the work for you. So we've we've already had uh, Unearthly Child and uh, a couple more installments. That's right. The Daleks and Edge of Destruction. Excellent. So uh, check them out. The great stuff and uh, more on its way. Absolutely. So, all you Doctor Who fans out there, check it out. But back to this episode, the one that I'm still in control of. For this episode, we'll have, be having our dust jacket on H.G. Wells' classic 1898 novel, War of the Worlds, and a war room based on that novel posing the question, is War of the Worlds the most influential science fiction novel of all time? But up first... We're going to discuss the booking dust jacket. War of the Worlds is probably the most famous novel written by H.G. Wells, Herbert George Wells, in 1898. Uh, It's a first-person narrative by an unnamed reporter who is basically caught in the middle of an invasion from Mars. I don't think anybody's actually named. No. It's a very... You you get some of the scientists like Ogilvy Ogilvy and and, um, Henderson. None of the actual main characters are named. His wife's never named. The artillery man's never named. Yeah. It's a very common thing in uh, Wells' novels, actually, to not name characters. Um, If you believe Warehouse 13, Wells was a girl. Ah, okay. (laughs) He wrote all the novels. But I choose not to believe Warehouse 13. Oh, I don't think I wear. That's fine. It's fine. It's entertaining. Move on. (laughs) The story involves a series of cylinders that are fired off from Mars that uh, land in certain areas uh, across England, but Horsell Common is the one that we focus on. And uh, from that cylinder emerges 
first Martians, and then Martian war machines in the forms of the absolutely awesome uh, tripods. And uh, those tripods, they just basically go on a destructive rampage across London and uh, the surrounding countryside. Uh, at one point they spread uh, this horrible red weed. They needed Ewoks. <laughs> That's right, the Ewoks would have taken the tripods down. <laughs> Restrained, strange person. <laughs> and whilst uh, whilst the aliens are invading, our narrator, the reporter, is basically trying to work his way back to find his wife, who was in London and is missing um, because of obviously because of the alien invasion. Um, this book is absolutely phenomenal. Well, that's it. That's the ratings, people. <laughs> This book, it is absolutely one of my favourite uh, novels. Not just science fiction novels, but just novels in general. It's beautifully written. It's a wonderful human drama. Um, you really uh, become involved in the story of the reporter and his quest for his wife. It's a very moving tale. Um, there's a real sense of, I guess, almost hopelessness about the book. I mean, where you know every single effort that humanity puts to try and... Uh, puts in to try and defeat the Martians just fails miserably Squash um, like the bugs we are absolutely we are just until of course it's bugs that save the day absolutely and that, and that's <laughs> and that's that's one of the things that I love about spoiler this spoiler alert I'm sorry for those sorry. of you who haven't seen the 4,000 adaptations of this um no um yes it is actually bacteria that does kill the Martians in the end um and that's actually one of the for me, that's actually one of the things I love the most about this book. Me too. Is that, it's mm. so clever, especially for the time it was written. Mm. Absolutely. Well, there's a there's a real it's kind of condescending. Oh, think about where medical science was back then. Bacteria was discovered far before 1898. I know, but how dangerous did they know it was? And especially from someone that's come outside of our planetary system. Which yeah. actually does bring me to a good point. I think about War of the Worlds. I mean, other than the human drama I just mentioned. The science in this book is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's it's almost like this is one of the first sort of hard science science fiction novels. I mean, he's yeah. using a lot of science as far as um, astronomy and as far as biology and even engineering. I mean, he, he really has thought out the tripods, how they move, how they work. Well, he actually um, wrote a, um, a treatise on the possibility of life on Mars. Yeah. And then basically wrote the story around it yeah. I mean basically so the, everything that you put into the into the paper is in the story mm -hmm. and, and yeah well it's, it's very much I mean you're, you're talking real world science as it was in 1898 yeah I mean obviously uh, nowadays it's it's been you know proven false but it's it's still amazing for it for its time and incredibly detailed in that yeah. respect as well but it's uh, as scientifically found as it is it's still a sense of, it's still a, the element of the fantastic that make it hmm. so memorable. Well, it never loses. It never loses sight. Um, it never gets sort of bogged down in its science. It never loses sight of the human drama that it's trying no, to tell. No, but it uses it as a tool to yeah. make the story seem all that much more believable. Mm, Absolutely right. right. Exactly right. Absolutely right. And um, so it's yeah, not and a slave to the science. No. no. And one of the other elements that just amazes me about this getting back to the the bacteria idea is just the sense of hopelessness and despair mm. i mean we are defeated really mm. until the bacteria does the job for us humanity as a race is effectively going to be destroyed yeah and i love that, that they're, they're that, already making plans to uh continue humanity underground and yeah stuff. it's just it's and that amazes me that the book just has such a level of of just we're gone we're, we're defeated that's it you know humanity is basically over and then it's the smallest life on the planet that actually saves the day in the end it's i also like the way it's it can it uh, ties into the start where the martians were uh viewing us mm. like you know bacteria under a exactly right as, a, exactly as a, right. A, a place to invade and take over and you know, then it's our bacteria sure that, that it takes them. them out it uh, it's it's yeah. pretty impressive stuff. And if that, they if they hadn't left the the cylinders right at the start there, they would have been fine. They would have been okay. Yeah. But no, they had to come out and gloat. Can I make another point about the science? It's just what we said about the science making the story so much more believable. You can see 
an example there where that's worked. I just wish filmmakers would take that on board and, and yeah. use science mm. as a tool to make their story so much more believable. Yeah. I mean, as much as I'm a Doctor Who fan, the opening sequence of the Christmas, the last Christmas special, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I almost turned it off. <laughs> what? For those unaware, explain the situation. Well, the Doctor's saving the Earth from a spaceship, as, as he does. I mean, that's the thing he does. And he is hanging off the spaceship where there's been a hole blown out of it, hanging by his fingernails pretty much. And then he gets blown out, but fortunately as a spacesuit gets blown out with him. So he's sort of flying through space, data style, trying to get to this <laughs> spacesuit so I can put it on while he's screaming. You can hear him screaming in space <laughs> and not burning up in a atmosphere. And, and what well, if he he can breathe and scream in space what does he need the spacesuit for anyway okay move it on <laughs> what a rant over one of the great things about the science is not only um, does it not only does it present a sort of real world setting for this fantastic but there's also a certain sense of awe and wonder about the technology mm. Mm. and the science i mean this is a this is a point where you know um, new things are being discovered all the time, and we were not that far removed. We're only twenty years or so removed from Darwinism and Darwin's theory of evolution, yeah. um, which also plays a, a major thing, a, a prominent role in the story. I mean, it's it's he's really capturing that sense of awe and wonder that the that um, both the engineering discoveries and the scientific discoveries of the time were experiencing, and he mm. brings that into um, the popular eye. He brings it into popular fiction yeah. and. And you get a real sense for that. I mean, this is a time of wonder and amazement, but at the same time, there's this terrifying threat, um, you know, that is effectively going to destroy all of that. And well, it's, it's just that's, that's, that's the. Uh, I, I, I totally agree, but that was the sort of the the political situation of the time. Mm. Yeah, is that uh, uh, this? It was uh, invasion literature was was really big mm. at that. It was a really exactly big at right. That point. Yeah. Germany and France going at it. Mm. Uh, we're only you know. What is it? Fifteen odd years away before World War One starts, and uh, yeah. um, it's, it's and, uh, and the colonial imperialism, colonial of imperialism England itself. Yeah, so it's it's so it's, it's it's basically England sort of deserves it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> got, got what got what was coming to it basically. Essentially, well, England, England was the say. dominant the dominant yeah. uh, global power at the time. They oh, without the, doubt. I mean, it's it's actually yeah. it's, it's amazing. They basically ruled the world. Mm. Um, and he actually sort of says that on the third page. Um, mm. Just read a slight paragraph here. And before before we judge them, the Martians, too harshly, we must remember what ruthless and utter destruction our own species has wrought, not only upon animals such as the vanished bison and the dodo, but upon its own inferior races. The Tasmanians, in spite of their human likeness, were entirely swept out of existence in a war of extermination waged by European immigrants in the space of 50 years. Mm. Are we such apostles of mercy as to complain that the Martians warred in the same spirit? Well, exactly well right. Lord, his ideals there, he still manages to say inferior races. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah that's that's, that was the common thought of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand, but... Whether it was yeah. his or not. Yeah. But at the same time, he's actually saying, yeah, they might have been inferior, but we did wipe them out. And, and, it's, and, mention, and mentioning World War One actually is it's so in this in this novel you have the concept of total war. Mm. I mean the Martians come yeah. here; they're not interested in the current infrastructure. I mean, they just basically decimate all that they see mm. see before them using mm. the mist, using the weed, using the heat ray. Exactly. And then, but that that the concept of total war didn't exist at, at that time until mm. World War One mm. appear, and then as you know, nations are, are against each other, and we're essentially basically until World War Two when they actually did start to start mm. to think, well, we'll destroy the city mm. in order to destroy yeah. our enemy. Yeah, it's it's destruction on a on a scale unheard of. Yeah. at that point in time, and also it eventually I mean, came have, true. You know, the, the weed and the mist. You're talking. Yeah, you know, you're looking at sort of chemical and biological oh. warfare, warfare being employed as well. That's right. So the mist is the, the, the eventually then comes true in the form of the mustard gas in World exactly. War One. It's, it's um, unbelievable. Because there's a nice sense of naivety on the part of the humans. Mm. The Martians. The cylinder drops into Horsel Common. Um, causes much furor and debate and speculation as to whether there's much public interest. Mm. The lid comes off the cylinder. Yeah, but you, I mean, before the, the lid even gets, comes off, you've got the scientist, mm. the white flag, mm. you know, we come, in, you know, we, yeah. we come in peace. I mean, it's, 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 actually, it's more of a sense of, instead of, I mean, a sense of horror, it's mm. actually sort of a sense of, well, it's a, a new scientific discovery. Mm. 
it's like wow let's go check this out sort of stuff and they would think that you know it's not an invading force that there no. are dead men inside the cylinder yeah and then when the the cylinder does come up and the martians begin their initial attack um if they can't move just yet they attack and kill everyone for miles around mm. um, the journalist the main character scared a bit frightened then goes home and thinks you know is sort of concerned but thinks oh no we'll be okay they can't because they mm. can't move yet they can't get out so there's still a sense of you know we, we're not in danger mm. yeah. and it's only when the tripods appear in what I think is one of the most magnificent moments of the book mm. Um, mm. that you actually get a sense of that that the naivety of the human race yeah. um, and, starts and that, to become and, has and to become also, less and less mm. and also that um, I guess cultural imperialism I suppose you would call it that uh, cultural superiority that the English had at the time that they believed yeah. that they were the greatest culture in the world and that they were unbeatable yeah. you know that no which one could which defeat leads them. to this like well they can't move they can't really do it exactly anything. right yeah exactly right That's yes very it was much horrible a, what happened but now it's like it's ah. very much a reflection of, a, of the wider cultural view of the time mm. as England as you know just the dominant force in the world and the greatest culture in the world mm. um, another thing that I think he taps into very nicely is the um, apocalypse sensibilities of the time. I mean, there was this belief that... The end you know, of the century. That the end of the century was the end of an age and would it perhaps even be the end of the world. Very much the kind of what you get at the end of every century, really. But he's tapped into that beautifully by saying that the end of of uh, the 19th century is, in fact, potentially the end of the world. There are so many great scenes in this book on so many different levels. Um, some very personal moments... Um, the artilleryman mm. scene, I think, is a fantastic moment. Which one? The first one or the second one? The second one. Because mm. um, he meets him first up, and he just yeah. Well, he meets him first up, and but that's that really pretty much sets up, up that sets the, up for the second scene very nicely mm. because yes, they've been decimated in that first scene, and he's still worried, but he knows he's got to get to London, so there's still that sense of we can still do this, everything's still going to be okay. Mm. When he, By the time he meets him the second time around and the artilleryman has basically gone mad, let's face mm. facts. Yeah. Um, you know, wants to build cities underground. It's, very, it's very much a uh, Doctor Strange love sort of scene, I believe. It's, it's, it's like to build cities underground and yeah, one, it's... one woman for every every man. <laughs> Animals to, to be bred, bred and, and slaughtered. slaughtered. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, so you have good, great sort of personal moments like that um, and character moments like that. Um, you also have these very deep, deeply philosophical moments by the narrator mm. where he's really trying to come to, to grips with just everything that's going on but also how that reflects on the nature of humanity, how that inflects on, you know, reflects on the nature of, cult, of British culture. Yeah, and it also has some, some really excellent um, sort of action moments in it as well. Oh yeah, I mean, it makes a great action movie. There's um, it's my, some of my favorite bits are actually the chapters that deal with his brother, yeah, his attempts to flee. Yeah. I mean, after after the first cylinder, you get uh, a bunch of other uh, the others start landing around England, and you assume around the world. You don't really know about that, but uh, start landing. So uh, chapters uh, fourteen and sixteen, and I think seventeen. Um, hmm. uh, so yes, they deal with his brother and his attempt to with uh, to escape with his companions as well. During that sequence, has the the magnificent uh, HMS Thunderchild, uh, which is uh, which was a torpedo ram ship, mm-hmm. his attempt to take out the tripods. And it does, it does manage to take out a two, two I think. Yeah, I think it's when he's trying to take out the third one where he finally yeah. succumbs. Um, I say he, but it's actually a ship. <laughs> but uh, Thunderchild sounds like a DC comic hero. It's just a really a really cool attempt to uh, to to get to let people escape, and sure enough their heroic efforts are what lets uh, the brother and the two companions to eventually meet uh, eventually to uh, escape and go to the other, mm. other side and stuff like that but it's just a, it's just a, a really cool sequence I thought I also, mm. I also really like the uh, I mean it's, uh, the, the, when we're in writing they say it's just that you write what you know so uh, uh, so Wells said it in his actual you know place where he lived so yeah. it's so it's like he said it's Herschel Commons and it's uh, the narrator lives in uh, Woking, Woking, yeah. and the narrator lives in Woking uh, in Surrey. And uh, uh, when he was writing this, <laughs> and it's basically the lo- the local area that where Wells spent all his time cycling, cycled around, and wherever yeah. he cycled, he'd be like, 
it'd be cool if that, if, if that happened there, the red weed and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And when he was writing this story, he actually uh, uh, was telling his friends certain sequences and would be really, really excited when they were so shocked. Yeah. You know, you know, it's England at this time. It's just, yeah. be like, no, you can't destroy, you know, Woogie. <laughs> Which just, just adds to the impact of the novel overall. Yeah. You know. It's like, well, I live there. So it's, it's yeah. And yeah, this this book it just there's so much. It works on so many levels. There's so much going on. Um, it's such an influential book that it just yeah. I'm just amazed. It's it's actually I should point out it's also just a on a personal note. It was actually the first um, real science fiction novel that I read. Oh, cool. As well, so it was kind of my introduction. For school? Or? No, no, no. I just uh, you picked it up. I saw the uh, 1950s movie and thought that was cool and uh, my parents actually bought me a collection of H.G. Wells stories when I was about sort of eight or so cool. and uh, yeah and I'd loved War of the Worlds anyway so that was the first one I read at that time and uh, I've read it a couple of times since do you know when, just sorry, amazing do you know when I first read it about 10-15 years ago I got one of those first little PDAs you could get a little hill, hill apart PDA and it came with about a hundred ebooks mm-hmm. and so flipping through them they're all pretty boring stuff it's just, it's just classic stuff that's out of copyright now but amongst them was War of the Worlds I thought oh I've never read this before I'll give it a shot awesome best decision ever made <laughs> fantastic best decision you ever made was marrying me up until when literally speaking okay we got to work out what Marriage, War of the Worlds. I mean, you know, where do you fit on the graph there, Walter? We should have had a War of the Worlds theme in <laughs> Tribe with Rich, Richard Burton's head. <laughs> as, as the, uh, I, as I the would priest. travel back in time and record the ceremony as spoken by Richard Burton just so we could project his head at the wedding. Giving, we'll doing get to the, the, wedding. Uh, the awesomeness of the holographic Richard Burton head yep. you know, when we get to the yep. next section. Look, there's so many things and so many aspects of this book that we could talk about, but I think we've we've given uh, the listeners, you know, some of the sort of key key areas and key themes of the book and key scenes in the book as well. So, uh, let's move on to ratings, David. Well, the worlds, as you rightly said at the start, is a classic. Um, I think it's one of those books that it's it's like that thing that we've it's it's just become you know, part of of you know the consciousness of the human race who is it's it's amazing and uh and we'll talk about more of that in in the war room but it's like the superman s i mean if you mention war of the worlds people would have at least a basic understanding of what the situation is mm. it's earth versus mars so um it is amazing stuff it's it's very well written it's uh my favorite hg wells novel and uh and he's got some good stuff to choose from so Absolutely it's right. uh, yeah it's, it's it's an easy one for me it's five looks without doubt it's just it's it's brilliant stuff Crystal. Well, I'll give it four and a half Lukes. It would be five, but being as Foundation's my benchmark, and uh, I found Foundation far more entertaining. Not to say that this book isn't entertaining, it's just not as high in my esteem. So, four and a half for me. Luke. Um, for, for a book that's over 100 years old, um, it still remar- it still feels remarkably fresh. Mm. Um, this is five looks. New writers take note. Mm. This is how it's done. <laughs> exactly. Movie makers take note. Storytellers in general uh, take note. Mm. There are only three books that I've actually come back to read time and time again, and uh, this is actually the book I've probably read the second most number of times. Um, it's just. It's fantastic, um, and yeah, five looks for me. I can't sing its praises highly enough. Brilliant. So, that's our review of War of the Worlds. Let us know what you think. I mean, we've absolutely sung its praises and given it possibly the highest rating to date, uh, on average, between the four of us. So, um, yeah, let us know what you think. Is War of the Worlds the masterpiece that we're claiming it is? And yes, it is. (laughs) And if you disagree... Let us know. You're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong. If you disagree, let us know why. Absolutely. Coming up next, War Room.
also in uh, preparing for our Dust Jacket review of War of the Worlds, I actually made the comment that I thought that uh, War of the Worlds was the most influential science fiction novel ever written. And in discussion that with the NCP crew, we actually thought, well, that'd make a good war room. <laughs> Am a I good right? discussion. Am I right? And it's very important to point out it's the most influential science fiction novel ever written. That's right. That's right. I mean, there's arguments for things like, I don't know, the Bible for the most <laughs> culturally significant book of all time. But uh, I think the Bible wins it. It's a work of fiction of all time. <laughs> the Bible is a work of fiction. Do you want to have that discussion now? No. And it doesn't even feature alien invaders. It does have zombie in it, though. We'll do that... Uh, We'll do that at a later date, for a later war room. So, uh, just to look at the, briefly, the uh, impact that War of the Worlds has had on popular culture, I thought I'd just roll off a few of the adaptations we've had over the years, because there's quite a lot of them. There's, of course, the classic George Pell 1953 movie, uh, that sort of set the standard for alien invasion movies. Great stuff. Although they do change the tripods. Yeah. Which is a shame. That's true. But, I mean, they do look cool, though. Yeah, they do create their own awesome alien war machines anyway. So. Oh, just on a personal note, it's, uh, I, I'm sure he'll forgive me for saying so, but uh, my brother um, doesn't get scared easily, let me tell you. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a typical Aussie bloke sort of stuff, and yeah. uh, he's a man's man. And uh, on his first view in a War of the Worlds during a uh, Sunday afternoon matinee. Remember those? I do. Oh, back in the good old days. Anyway, um, yeah, he was... Uh, he was not impressed. He was uh, very, very upset by the appearance of the uh, of the war machines and uh, refused to watch it ever again. And, There's some uh, genuinely creepy moments yeah, in that film. Was, when they it. first when they first take out the uh, the uh, white flag group, and he was just like, uh, no, no, and left the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. There was actually a Polish film in 1981, really, called "The War of the Worlds: The Next Century." There were two. Films in 2005. Yeah, I've seen them both. Um, yes, both of varying qualities. Um, and one of them, uh, the Asylum version of H.G. Uh, Wells' War of the Worlds, mm. actually had a sequel in 2008. Yeah, Next Wave. Next Wave, yeah. Yeah, I've seen them because I've seen that as well. Um, and they're terrible. Yes. Of course, the, the Steven Spielberg version mm. uh, of the film with Tom Cruise. Well, I can be said about the Steven Spielberg version... Mainly, it was bad. Yeah, I was about to say, there's um, nothing good that can be said about it. Oh, I wouldn't say that. The The way that they arrive at the start, that's pretty cool. The lightning bolt stuff, that was pretty cool. Um, but everything else? <laughs> there's also at least eight different radio show adaptations mm. of War of the Worlds, including the famous 1938 broadcast by Orson Welles, notorious for causing panic amongst the population Absolutely who believed it was real. brilliant. It's magnificent. It yeah. is. It's it, a fantastic radio play. And no, it's not, I, not only is the play itself, Brent, uh, but just what happened. Yeah. It's just amazing. It is very convincing. It is, it is very convincing. How, how, I mean, as much as it, the panic was bad, how good would you feel as an actor being a part of that, that it was so good that people believed it? Orson Welles not exactly the nicest person on the planet, so no. he would have been stoked. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, it made his career. Yeah. He got to go and make the Hollywood went, hey, that was a success. And snapped him up and he got yeah. and made Citizen Kane. And... Yeah, so the classic radio play there, just uh, amazing stuff. And if you can get a copy of it, it's well worth hearing. Mm. Um, there was also an 80s TV series. It's kind of loosely based on Wells's book, but more based on connected to the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 1953 film. Uh, we have... Of course, uh, Jeff Wayne's 1970s uh, double album mm. adaptation of War of the Worlds with Richard Burton and uh, David Essex and a few others, which uh, has become in its own right a major part of popular culture. Mm. Great stuff. Um, and he also turned that into a stage play, mm. uh, which has been doing the rounds the last few years. With the with the with the Richard Burton head, including a hologram of Richard Burton's head narrating the story. Tripod. I doubt it's fully functional, but still, <laughs> <laughs> it looks awesome. Um, and, yeah. the, and it's got the, the the Jeff Wayne tripod has has become pretty much synonymous with yeah the one mm. the way they look for yeah. most people. Yeah. Most, that or the um the is it the Amazing Stories cover? Yeah, the Amazing yeah. Stories, which, cover. Ha, which has the black tripod and that sort of slightly um, 
mushroom type head mm -hmm. with the, um, the eye and walking around. That's well, the, the, the black, the mushroom type head is the version that they use in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm. Um, that's they use the that sort of version. Yeah. Uh, but the, there's actually a statue in Walking, sorry, like a nine foot tall tripod. Cool. That is. That, that looks is pretty awesome. That looks more like the Jeff Wayne's. Not yeah. quite the same, but more like yeah. it. it's pretty stuff. There's actually one other uh, musical version of War of the Worlds as well from 2009. Um, it's appeared in multiple arcade games as well. Um, yeah, Half-Life 2 plays a major part, tripods. Yep. Um, there's been four games actually called War of the Worlds, War of the Worlds including yeah. one from 1998 called Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Yeah, it's pretty um, bad. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> uh, there's been multiple comic book adaptations in mm. things like uh, Classic Illustrated but uh, also Marvel Comics had a book called Kill Raven mm -hmm. which is based in a post um, Martian invasion world um, that ran in the 1970s we also had uh, Superman War of the Worlds from 1999 which is a fantastic book which posits the idea that the alien invasion from the radio show in 1938 actually happened and because Superman first appeared in 38 you get a young sort of um, uh, Siegel and Schuster style Superman that has to fight the Martian invasion uh, fantastic stuff it works a lot better than Superman versus the aliens mm. <laughs> <laughs> a terrible terrible comic um, there is uh, the second volume of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen yep. uh, by Alan Moore brilliant. also features uh, basically a brilliant stuff a very <laughs> literal adaptation of uh, the invasion come on when Hyde takes out that, that tripod yes and, and then eats the, the alien. The preceding story around that moment. Okay. Brent. No. Terrible. Brent. Terrible. I will kill you. That's you another wrong. war room, guys. <laughs> That's a whole other war room. That's an Ellen Moore war room. Um, yeah, and of course, uh, Boom Studios also did a War of the Worlds. Mm. Mm. comic adaptation a few years ago as well so and look that's and really that's just uh, the tip of the iceberg for just uh, the number of sort of adaptations and and as we said uh, with the, some of the computer games and things as well the influences as well that War of the Worlds has had on um, on popular culture you see you know the, the, the Martians in invading Earth is such a common mm. trope these days. You, the tripods have become their own part of popular culture, and you see. I mean, I remember there was a, a Justice League animated cartoon episode a few years ago mm. that had Martians invading, and sure enough, there they were in giant stylized versions of the tripods. Mm. Um, so yeah, just it's it's impossible, I think, to just go through all of the influences that War uh, of the yeah. Worlds well, we has obviously had. Don't, yeah, don't have time to go through everything. But, yeah. I mean, you're totally right in terms of... Um, it's War of the Worlds set up basically the standard for alien invasion stories. Absolutely. I mean, it's, whether it, it was from Mars or, or from whatever. It's just mm. is they come here, you know, en masse. Mm. Um, do they come in peace? Do they not come in peace? More often than not, they don't. Yeah. You know, ID4 style. Where would, where yeah. would ID4 be without... ID4 is War of the Worlds filtered through Star Wars. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Even yeah. to the point, to the point, you know, the the fight for the cat, the dog fight in the canyon. Yeah, yeah. Even to the point where they come up with, you know, a variation on the bacteria, which is the computer virus. Yeah. yeah. That they then use to infect, um, the mothership. Anyway, the less yeah. about ID4, the better. It's terrible. <laughs> but it, but it does illustrate but, yeah, it. It does illustrate a point. Yeah. It's it's not just. War of the Worlds as an adaptation. It's the way aspects of War of the Worlds have entered into other forms of popular culture. The series, absolutely. Um, Mars Attacks, which yeah. really is just a parody of yeah, uh, of War of the Worlds. Um, I mean, it's just it's, it's, it's influence is, is is everywhere. Yeah, and, um, and it's just it's set the standard. And the great thing is, as we were saying, with things like the Jeff Wayne musical adaptation, aspects then from the adaptations then make it into popular culture as well like the you know the dun, dun, dun music from from that and the ooh, uh, noise that is made by the martians um they have become part of popular culture right. you know so it's just it's just a just the vast influence that this book has had um it's just phenomenal and as i was saying sort of earlier in the dust jacket i also think is one of the earliest examples of sort of a a hard science approach to writing as well, yep. trying to actually incorporate real real world science into um, 
Oh, you're totally, totally right. I mean, before this book came out, um, uh, you had scientists who uh, posited the theories that uh, the canals on Mars, mm-hmm. which of course were you know, 100 years earlier, but still, I mean, so uh, the canals and um, that that Mars yeah, could pop, be, pop, be populated or had, had been populated previously and now died mm-hmm. out. But then when Wells put them into the book, it wasn't until Wells put them into the book until that became such a popular idea mm-hmm. that people actually believed it was fact. Yeah. So here you have a, a, a science fiction novel that people actually think is is giving them you know the yeah. facts of the universe. You know, you know, based in an invasion story as well. And then suddenly we see <laughs> Mars being populated, coming up in a whole series of other books. That's um, right. I mean, the books and then the books following. I mean, of course, you get you know, John, uh, Carter. John Carter from Mars. Yeah. I mean, it has. I mean, so basically, the the, the idea that Mars either is or was populated by an ancient race that has died out mm. or is dying out and needs to find, you know, a new a new planet it has continued on, you know, in popular culture so much that it's now until eventually it was proven that there was no well, life. Like the crushing no life disappointment when NASA goes there and Yeah, until NASA ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiled it for all by sending the pro by sending the probes. There is tantalizing but uh, yeah, unproven evidence there might be microbes. But people are so desperate to believe that. That even when you had the you know, the so-called face on Mars, mm. Sidonia, yep, you know, it's, it's like, so which turns up in the X Files, which turns up in the X Files, <laughs> but but it's just I mean, it's so people, so, there's so many people are so desperate to believe that Mars had life mm. that based on the, these stories, it's it's almost become like almost the modern day equivalent to Atlantis, yeah, to a certain degree, you know, the a highly advanced culture who's disappeared. Um, who we're trying to find? Who we believe we're trying to find mm. traces of, and it cro- and it crops up in the popular consciousness. Mm. You know, like John Carter, like in War of the Worlds, um, and in the multitude of clones that have come up um, come up since. Um, I put a question to the group. Um, given that we are talking about the influence of War of the Worlds, given that there is a strong sociological, um, slightly political message to the novel. Has that actually been diluted with successive incarnations, um, remakes, downright plot steals? Has the has the initial? I don't think so. Well, I think I think that um, it's some of the popularist attempts have been sort of more for, um, I suppose, entertainment than anything else. But mm. I mean, I, I think that's just that that message has been transported into whatever time period that the adaptation is set so the 50s movie for example i mean you're right in the heart of the cold war Mm. and you can see the cold war allegories there Mm. you can see the mutually assured destruction and um you know destruction on a massive scale being reflective of you know the concerns for nuclear warfare at the time and for biological warfare coming out of um you know the the two world wars and the use of uh, chemicals and, and biological warfare there I think they've just updated it for for that generation of of viewers so I don't think the message is lost per se I think it's just it's constantly updated because there's a certain universe, uh, universality to that message um, but um, yeah, no, I don't think so. watered down a bit I think though so in like the Tom Cruise movie it's, watered, it's more action based uh, yeah. and less commentary yeah. on the times but it's still there mm. yeah. to a degree, but not as. Mm. That's inevitable, though. I mean, it's, it's it's over the course of time, and I mean, and now eventually, I mean, we've now gotten to the point that we've so many versions of this story existing that when aliens do eventually <laughs> invade, and I do say when, <laughs> when aliens do eventually arrive, you're going to get that mm. uh, one of those the few cool scenes in ID Four where you get the you know, the people on top of the. Of the buildings, they go, hey, welcome, you know, stuff like that. I mean, yeah. you aren't going to get a group of people who are going to be excited that this is actually finally happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, another th- interesting thing to point out, too, is that War of the Worlds was actually uh, reprinted in 1927 mm-hmm. in Amazing Stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already mentioned the cover mm-hmm. of that issue and the, the impact that that's had. But, um, I mean, that's sort of, you know, one of the early things leading into what's known as the golden age of science fiction mm-hmm. writing. Um, and I think the influence of War of the Worlds can be seen in a lot of the writers of that time. And then obviously in later writers as well mm-hmm. who have picked up on elements um, and elements of the, of, of the book and, and um, aspects of the sort of themes and messages as well. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, I think we can sort of see the influence there pretty substantially. Oh, it was, so, it was so influential and popular in its time that it actually got ripped off almost immediately mm. before, before it was publication. <laughs> I mean, it was, re, it was reprinted in the Boston Post without permission, but the, uh, the location was changed to New England. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was actually uh, an alternate version of it. it was published in the USSR uh, in uh, 1962 told from the point of view from, from a Russian person um, there's been uh, sequels uh, <laughs> unofficial you know, sequels written for it as well so it's, 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 it's just amazing also um, I think the other thing too with War of the Worlds is that the influence it's had on a lot of scientists who read it as a, as a kid and I'll give you one example because I think this is fantastic. Freeman Dyson, mm. who himself has given us one of the uh, Dyson's yeah, has given Dyson's us one of the great uh, scientific concepts that has kind of snuck its way into a lot of uh, science fiction novels as well. Um, actually, credits um, not just novels, Star Trek: Next Generation. Exactly right. Um, he Scotty. yeah, he actually acknowledges that War of the Worlds was one of his influences. Um, as a kid that actually then led him to become a major fi- figure in physics, but also in the search for extraterrestrial life. Um, so you're seeing there, once again, where the book is having an influence on people mm. outside of just popular culture, but into science and, as I said, into the search for extraterrestrial life as well, because you know it sparked the imagination. So, yeah, so I still think... I still think it's the most influential science fiction novel written. I agree. I think it's very influential. I'm not too sure it's the most influential of all time. It's a bit cool. I'm half and half. I think I think it's I think there are books that are as equally as influential. Like nine eighty four. Like nine eighty four. Any others you uh, for a different reason I'd probably say June. You know, that was trying to do a different type of and I'm you know, moving away from what War of the Worlds and ninety four cover. Mm. Um, you know, suddenly going from uh, the smaller, the smaller scale, focused in on one particular section. You know, suddenly they they were expanding um, universes and having interplanetary romances. And I think June yeah. encapsulates that more okay. effectively than a lot of other novels. So it's important. To Foundation is probably also as equally as um, influential. So, so it's important to point out that we're not saying that War of the Worlds is the greatest science fiction book of all time. No, we're not saying mm-hmm. in terms of across many areas. Yeah, you know, I, I have to go, Richard. I, I do think it is, and it's, I, I, it pretty much has set the standards. I think that are still being followed. Well, those are our thoughts. Um, what do you think? Let us know. Is War of the Worlds the most influential science fiction novel of all time? Or am I just out of my mind? I know which answer I'm going with. That's, that's two separate questions. Both <laughs> yes. So coming up next, coming soon. Coming soon to Australian audiences, um, January 26th, we have, bafflingly, the fourth film, that's right everybody, the fourth film in the Underworld saga, Underworld Awakening. Now, I so don't know. named because uh, Celine's been in a coma for 15 years, <laughs> and then wakes up, wow, that's subtle. And after the second film, I think the audience is in a coma as well. I, it's amazing that this movie has now moved on to uh, become a, made, a four movie franchise have you seen the trailer there's yeah. one sequence where she's where she's uh, crawling through an air vent or of some sort and it's basically just it's just bum shot it's just, it's just her, her, her latex covered bum crawling through a corridor yeah. <laughs> try to be subtle about it I mean yes she's an attractive woman yes the suits you know, makes her look pretty cool but don't just Throw it in our face. <laughs> Come on. In your face cinema. <laughs> on the Thank 20- God it's only 3D. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. 
God help us if it's in 3D. <laughs> Kate Beckinsale's latex covered buttocks in 3D. <laughs> in sounds, your face. Sounds like my friend said, imagine if the labyrinth was, this, was in 3D, you'd have your eye out. Bowie <laughs> <laughs> cut piece. On uh, the 26th, we also get Clint Eastwood's uh, new movie, J. Edgar, the story of J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI. And uh, we also get Six Plots. Yes, uh, Six Plots is this girl wakes up to discover that her six friends have been buried. They've been buried? <laughs> They've been <laughs> turned into Barry Gibb. <laughs> They've got beards all of a sudden and sing very high pitched. discover their the location of, of their graves. Oh, they're all like alive by the way. They're buried alive and uh, she has to find them before they die. Oh, something like that. I don't know. It sounds terrible. I know what you did last summer like buried by Kill Bill. That's what that sounds like. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it doesn't sound too good. That would be a no for me, I think. But it's probably a masterpiece compared to what we get on February the second. I know February second is a, a bad day. We get Piranha three double D. That's no. right, Piranha has a sequel and it's called Three Double D. We'll let you figure out why. Check out uh, the website to see David's review of the previous Piranha films. <laughs> it's a very good read. Yeah, he, with uh, with my uh, spotlight on the remakes, uh, I covered the Piranhas in uh, I do believe Part Four of Piranha films. I subjected myself to that rubbish for <laughs> you listeners, and that's and why he's sick and his eyes need washing out. He. He watched it so that you don't have to. <laughs> we also get Chronicle. Uh, it's the latest found footage film about three friends who gain superpowers and pretty much then turn on each other. I think if anyone's seen the preview for this movie, you've got a pretty good idea of exactly what happens in the film. I don't know, tell you everything you need to know. There are two things that I'll thank, you know, whatever deity I choose to believe in at the time, um, for the destruction of. One is, you know, the loss of reality television. Ten years too late, um, <laughs> and you know the loss of these, this found footage genre. Well, unfortunately, uh, although it's a pretty poor selection of films for mm. that period, so Chronicle will be our next popcorn junkie. No, that's it. There is no deity. The, the thing that annoys me the most about Chronicle is I haven't even seen it yet, so it could be genius. Who knows? But it basically rips off John Acuity's A God Somewhere. Mm. Which, basically, which now means that that film won't be made anytime soon, which is a damn shame because it's actually quite cool. Well, maybe somebody will see Chronicle and go, you know, I remember reading a comic that was a good version of this. Yeah. But having said that, we don't know yet because it hasn't come out and we will be reviewing it, so we'll go in with open minds. <laughs> open minds. I won't. And of course, as is a regular here now on our coming soon feature, we always like to look back at our famous favourite cinema. The Asta, which has a great selection of films showing in the next two weeks, including on the 26th, so if you're not really looking forward to Underworld Awakening, go check out Enter the Dragon. Special edition. The absolute classic Bruce Lee movie, also featuring a personal favourite black exploitation star of mine, Jim Kelly from Black Belt Jones. Absolutely awesome, awesome action movie. And... Um, also, they'll be showing The Court Jester on the 29th. So if you're looking for a film that is both fun, entertaining, and pretty damn funny... The pellet with the poison, the vessel with the vessel with the flame with the dragon holds the brew that is true? Then check out The Court Jester. The Court Jester is, is Danny Kaye's finest hour. It is. It's, yep. it's brilliant, family-friendly fun that you know you can go back to time and time again. And it's, it's, we watched it recently. It's just, it's just brilliant, brilliant stuff. It is Don't fantastic. And uh, for the full listings from the Asta, please check out their website at www.astatheatre.net.au. So that brings us to the end of episode 16 of Nerd Culture Podcast, and my time as your Grand Imperial Overlord has come to an end. Yay, the tyranny is over! As we shed a tear... Did a, did a watery tart throw a sword at you? <laughs> <laughs> as we shed a tear and think back on the great times... Before, it's unfortunate before. to note that uh, David will probably be back in charge for the next episode. Unless, of course, I can get that race of atomic supermen up and running in the meantime. Well, we get some of that uh, War of the Worlds bacteria in the pumped into me. That's right. 
So if you want to comment on how well I did and how I'm much better at this than David, don't write in. Please contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Or of course you can tweet us at at nerdculturecast or leave a comment on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and to subscribe to the podcast as well. So once again, with my time drawing as an end, I just want to say thank you for allowing me to show David how it's done. And it's just up to say goodbye to you all from the team. David? I know the truth. I know you all love me more. And Crystal? My fondest hope for 2012 is that I will have a movie to insert into my best of <laughs> And Luke? Death to the Tyrant Richo. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye now. Yes, the chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one, he said. Chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one. But still, they come.